Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4197 of The Bugle. Uh, I am Andy Zaltzman. I'm in the shed. It is the 9th of June, and I'm joined from uh, later on today in different place, places in the world. Firstly, by very nearly the end of the day, as we record uh, in Australia, Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. How are you, Buglers? I think you meant to just say hello, Buglers. No, no, you can say how are you, and uh, I can respond on, on... I have power of attorney to respond on their behalf, and they all say they are very well indeed, Alice. Well, I'm um, glad that you've responded for them, because otherwise yes. that thing happens uh, that I find incredibly confronting and confusing, which is where somebody listens to one of any one of my many hundreds of podcasts in the past and then replies to me on Twitter or email as though I were having the conversation with them now. It's, <laughs> it's like the worst form of time travel. <laughs> and there are so many bad forms of time travel um <laughs> in particular just going forwards at the required rate um <laughs> until you get old and decrepit um that's a very bad form of, of time travel uh also joining us um from in between australia and the uk in uh, temporal terms it's anuvab pal hello andy hello alice um well as you can see, I'm I'm uh, in, in a closet, um, right. in my grandmother's closet here in <laughs> Calcutta. Um, That's that. I mean, there, there we have. I mean, we, the the Bugle podcast stable is expanding. I think in my grandmother's closet could be a show that would uh, will absolutely take over the podcasting universe. I think it's necessary because it seems like this is a broadcast that reaches out. I figured it's time to reach in <laughs> to get further and further deeper. But the quick news from here is that the subcontinent has been hit by its first set of monsoon rains. Um, so if you remember the last time we chatted, um, we couldn't go out of our house because of COVID. And now COVID is clearing up, but we can't go out because the roads have essentially turned to mud. Um, <laughs> So as a nation, we've decided to stay indoors into perpetuity, regardless of what happens in the outside world. So I figured my grandmother's closet is a good enough place. Um, well, I mean, that's a good, it, you know, it's, if nothing else, COVID has given us all the opportunity to feel like an ancient Egyptian pharaoh, uh, just, you know, <laughs> indoors for the rest of eternity, distanced from anyone else by a, a significant amount of, um, well, kind of psychological pyramiding. Um <laughs> With all of your organs in jars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> best place for them. Um, yeah, we are recording on the uh, the 9th of June. The 10th of June is World Ballpoint Pen Day. Uh, so to mark World Ballpoint Pen Day, um, the script for this episode has been scrawled illegibly in ballpoint pen. Very poor uh, handwriting, so I hope you still enjoy the episode. <laughs> As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin this week. A Euros 2020 preview. Uh, the uh, Euro 2020 Football Championship, postponed uh, from last year, uh, uh, I forget why, is starting uh, this weekend. And we take you through some of the stars to watch, including time-wasting, tactical negativity, players pretending to be injured, players kicking other players, then pretending that hasn't injured them, racist fans, racist fans claiming they're not racist but then admitting they are racist, flobbing, could the Euro's record of an 8.4 metre plob by Germany's Hans-Dieter Schlauchhauser in 1968 be beaten, and TV pundits saying he's got to do better there. All things to look out for uh, over the next month of footballing excitement. That section in the bin. <laughs> 
Top story this week. The world was given a chilling peek behind the wireless curtain of future chaos on Tuesday when a global internet outage, I never thought I'd say this, closed some websites for an hour. Uh, it was truly harrowing for uh, the planet's greatest species, uh, the human race, with the loss of such sites as the Guardian website, Amazon, Reddit and social media sites such as Twerp, Clank, Garbage, that's G-A-R-B-I-J, Twaddler, and Ephemera, where people post three-second videos of themselves suffering existential angst. Uh, humanity was brought to its quivering knees, and several major religions declared a full Armageddon uh, during the, the outage. The uh, UK government website went down, which led to a 58-minute golden age of joy, hope, and productivity before normality was thankfully uh, restored. Uh, now, um, Anivab, Alice, uh, clearly this um, this is probably the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to uh, the world. Uh, how did you both cope with, with, with the trauma? I mean, I found it a real relief, Andy. Just the prospect that this was the beginning of the end was quite a relief. Uh, most idiots spent their whole time trying to identify which sites were up and which sites were down. I started two separate doomsday cults and set them against each other. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what you did with your <laughs> internet outage. But uh, one of the fascinating things was that everyone had an opinion about what should be done or what was happening, even though nobody had in, in any information about what was happening. It was it revealed, if nothing else, that nobody knows how any of it works, especially the people who think they do, and definitely not the people whose job it was to make it work. <laughs> My problem is that none of the good stuff that you want the internet to go down with ever goes down. Like my online mortgage payment went through. <laughs> which is really really painful and um, you know I've had no internet for a couple of days because of the monsoon situation and we don't have any aeroplanes coming and going to India as you know um, which leads me to the question maybe you guys know this now the world you know with all its essential elements McDonald's greed TikTok cold press juice <laughs> Is that still around, Alice and Dean? <laughs> well, with, I mean, we don't we don't really know. Um, I mean, that that's the thing with internet outages is you know it does it does lead to people questioning whether anything exists if it's not you know being you know live blogged in some way. So for an hour, no one knew if if anyone existed anymore. It was it was deeply deeply harrowing. As somebody who has brought up Buddhist An Andy, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> they never did. It's all an illusion, a temporary co-alignment of mind and matter. The tech news website, The Verge, uh, did start publishing news on a shared Google document just to prove that they really existed, uh, in the words of the kinks, until one of their reporters accidentally shared a link on Twitter that allowed their audience to then edit the news on this Google doc. <laughs> but it's not. Is should this not be the future of all news that it's just you know it's out there and people can edit it to make the news that they i mean it's essentially just streamlining the process we already have but taking a bit more personal responsibility rather than letting the editors of our chosen newspapers do it for us well i what i feel was really newsworthy about the edits that p the general public made to the verge was that they were deeply unoriginal <laughs> it's like when you get a new pen and you want to write something with your new pen and you always write this is a new pen <laughs> I think this is really the future we should go towards. I The other day I saw a thing on Instagram that said, write a blog without writing a single word. <laughs> and I thought that was an excellent tool. Apparently, it's got blocks of words. 
Um, and, and if you type in, you know, a feeling like misery, it just like uh, there's a paragraph that's pre-written that just shows up. So you, you <laughs> can get this blog without having to write a blog. And I think that's really where journalism needs to go. I think um, that's how Shakespeare wrote most of his plays, isn't it? <laughs> Um, so, so what happened was that uh, Fastly, um, uh, who are a, a major content... They, they showed their hand in incompetence by not knowing how to how to write speed. Yes, exactly. Uh, they are apparently a major content delivery network, whatever that is. Uh, they reported a widespread failure. And look, without knowing or wanting to know how all this mystical shit actually works, after all, when it comes to such things, as uh, Tennyson wrote, ours uh, not to reason why, ours but to surf and buy, uh, surely the obvious answer was that it was a distraction to enable the aliens to land whilst everyone else was distracted by not having uh, their usual distractions to distract them. So how long is it going to take for this to become truly apparent do we think i mean a good thousand years andy okay just the standards because it doesn't i mean aliens usually take a thousand years if the vikings are anything to go by so, sorry that's supposed to be uh, that's still subdued to say i mean could this internet outage be proof that last year's uh, u.s election was indeed stolen from the former blogger donald trump i mean if large parts of the internet can be down for an hour surely they can easily forge miscount or uh, hide by ingesting a few million votes here or there surely look i'm not saying that correlation equals causation but from the desk of donald trump was taken down not so very long before this happened right i mean those dots are joining themselves alice and they're they're making the shape of a great big middle finger real sloppy dots just <laughs> oozing into each other can I just say, all these doomsday scenarios of the internet have brought back a long-lost English language word, the cabal. And I'm just glad <laughs> that the word cabal has made a comeback. Because everything apparently to do with the, the sort of destruction of the internet has to do with the secret cabal. There's never like an open, friendly cabal doing things. <laughs> it's never a transparent cabal. It's always a secret cabal. Right. Um, so you should just that way you put... It's all about where you put the L. If it's secret, it's cabal. If it's not secret, it's club. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, so it didn't affect uh, everywhere in the world. So users in some locations experienced no problems. For example, Berlin. Oh, why did we f***ing bother? Um, Outright scientists, meanwhile, blamed uh, the woke conspiracy, pointing out that in the 1950s, before an increased social awareness of issues surrounding race, gender and sexuality and uh, an effort to be a more tolerant species, the internet never failed. So uh, take that, the woke. Covid news now, and, uh, well, naming Covid variants after their country of origin, uh, which sparks, of course, pride and racism in equal measure in this country, certainly as the Great British variant and the highly suspicious Indian variant, battle for global supremacy, uh, well, that's to be a thing of the past, after the World Health Organisation decided to name the Covid variants after letters of the Greek alphabet, which is itself ironically named after letters of the Greek alphabet. Uh, they did consider uh, naming uh, the variants after Greek gods, but it was decided that the Aphrodite variant sounded uh, too like a very, 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 very questionable 1970s film. And of course, if they get far <laughs> enough, having a variant with the syllables oopsie in it uh, might be too withering an assessment of global failures. Uh, in, uh, we, we talked about the India variant uh, before uh, on the Bugle. Has this news gone down well? Well, I think the issue here is that um, they're a little upset with Britain, Andy, because you went with a specific county, Kent. Yes. And I think India wants more specificity to its variant. 
So, you know, uh, Alibag is a wealthy neighborhood. Kent is a wealthy neighborhood. So India says, why can't we have an Alibag variant? Uh, why can't we have a South Bangalore variant? Um, <laughs> so in the India, very too broad. There are many parts of India that have nothing to do with COVID who are getting upset with this. But just to go back to the Greek gods thing, Andy, um, I think I think that if they did go back to the Greek gods, there's a few things we could do. Like, for example, if you did have the Aphrodite variant, you know, you could focus on the infection if it infected only lovers and beautiful people. And it did not infect sailors, very much like Aphrodite. <laughs> if you had the Zeus variant, he'd be the king of the variants. He would live on Mount Olympus, which we all know is the name of the cafe at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favorite would be the Hestia variant. And Hestia is the nicest of the Olympian gods. Uh, it doesn't infect you if you are polite and say, please, thank you. And may I have another? <laughs> So I think there's a lot more you could do with gods than you could do with just the alphabet. Because like Alice said, you know, the alphabet, you're stuck. Alpha males, you know, beta testing. You know, there's only gamma rays. There's only so much you can do. Yes. Uh, and also... I mean, I mean is, is it racist to say that I've always wanted to hear an Indian person say there's a lot you can do with gods? Because I feel like that is... That might be your culture's approach to, to theology as a general rule. Yeah, I mean, the Ganesh variant, you know, that could infect men and elephants. I mean, there's a lot you could do. Vishnu variant, yeah, most, most of the time not available <laughs> up in the mountains somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if we went to pantheism, there's, there's, I could come up with quite a few things for you, Alice. Uh, they also, um, there was a scheme to name the variants using swear words from the countries of origin. The, the Kent variant was um, almost a trial scheme, and it seemed to work okay. But but to choose an alphabet with only 24 letters in it, isn't this, you know, just ridiculously optimistic? I mean, what, uh, Hindi has considerably more letters. Uh, how, how many in the, the Hindi alphabet, Anuva? What do we have? 36? I think Bengali has 41. But also, I mean, if you throw it open to India, at large, you're dealing with 330 million gods, you're also dealing with 462 languages. Um, <laughs> so let's just hope the virus doesn't spread. Um, Andy, Alice, you will appreciate this. In India, there is even a god dedicated to the cricketer Sachin Tendulkar. There's a temple <laughs> in his honor in the state of Bihar. So, you know, there's a chance of, you know, pantheism mixing with cricket, which I yep. think is a world you'd like to see, Andy. Ab so, absolutely. Yep. I mean, let's just hope the virus doesn't get that much of a foothold. Here. <laughs> I mean, the Greek gods reportedly are very disappointed uh, that their efforts to have the virus variants uh, named after themselves instead of uh, letters of the Greek alphabet uh, were turned down. It turned out their efforts were alpha nothing. Uh, as the letters beat it off stiff competition from the gods who gamma cropper at the final hurdle. Now, this delta serious bloat has used his hopes of making a comeback, to, but to be fair to the former king of Olympus, it's a decision he <laughs> accepts along with his former... accepts along? accepts along? accepts along with his no. former colleagues. And uh, says he will see to it that, he does, that it doesn't eat away at them. Uh, he has booked them a team bonding outing in a 16 theater limousine. Oh. Uh, I ought to check that. And of course, there's only 12 of them. But to cap a bad week for Zeus, he failed to land a new job as the deputy deity in charge of the Catholic Church. After being marked down for his low, them, for his, uh, low quality cat impression, his uh, mew wasn't great. Uh, he knew that, to be fair. Uh, it was a tough exercise, he admitted. It was either nerves that got to me or my chronic, or my chronic fear of cats. Um, oh, Andrew. That uh, me. Uh, Zeus uh, accepted blame for the long-standing hostility to people who like uh, starting fires. It goes back to the Prometheus thing, the pyro stigma. Um, as you said, he wouldn't give up, though. I'm not throwing in the towel. 
Uh, I know it's been tough for me these last couple of millennia, but I've had some ups along with some downs. So I'm going to fight on. I'm a tough guy. Uh, unlike my old mate Poseidon. Oh my God, what a loser. The end. The end. It's sometimes the only thing we have left in this troubled world. Andy, if you were in sixth grade in my school in Calcutta, I would have learned my Greek elements a lot better. <laughs> I recognised four out of all the ones you did. In other UK news, there's been much speculation over whether the loosening of lockdown in England will be delayed from the target date of the 21st of June. And uh, as we're recording, the government has confirmed that the 21st of June has been delayed. Unfortunately, a spokesperson said, we've had to put the 21st of June back. It will now take place between the 15th and 16th of December, whilst the 18th of December will now fill the gap between the 20th and 22nd of June in an effort to help the retail sector with an unexpected day of Christmas shopping. An agreement has also been reached to swap the Portuguese Algarve coastline with Skegness in Lincolnshire for the summer holiday season, whilst following a recategorisation of the green, amber and red list countries, Albania has gone missing entirely, whilst Bolivia is now a nightclub. We think an algorithm went rogue, admitted the government spokesperson. <laughs> India news now, and um, uh, Anivab, what you said, you've got, you've, had, you've got an early onset monsoon, which has come uh, a few days ahead of uh, ahead of schedule. Um, uh, some exciting news from Ahmedabad. Um, uh, Narendra Modi, of course, under increasing pressure and, and criticism for his handling of the COVID crisis, as well as issues of human rights and religious freedom. Uh, well, there's only one thing for it in a situation like that. Olympic bid! And Ahmedabad uh, could be... Uh, gearing up for an Olympic bid, the city where, as discussed on recent bugles, a 130,000 capacity cricket stadium was named after a serving Prime Minister rather than, for example, a cricketer, uh, because, well, uh, just because. Uh, is India excited at the prospect of chucking a ridiculous amount of d money down the drain for an elaborate school sports day, if I may just lay aside London 2012 for one minute? Well, as you know, Prime Minister Modi is a very ambitious person, um, and, you know, his economics has been called Modi-nomics by many because he's transformed so many economic things in the country. So um, for a long time, he's been really hopeful for the Olympics just so that the world could combine the word Modi and Olympics and come up with something. Um, however, one of the people involved in the bid said, we've got only this one stadium, which tends to be a problem <laughs> if you're going to have a range of events. And uh, another, another person who works with the Gujarat government did say, we're hopeful, but fortunately for us, the next four Olympics are taken. <laughs> so, um, I think that there is optimism, but the optimism comes from the fact that the people that have been given the responsibility to get us the Olympics would be long dead when we're ready to bid. So, um, they're hoping this goes away before the responsibility comes on them. But, you know, Ahmedabad is Prime Minister Modi's city and he's already built himself a cricket stadium there, which is the world's largest. So yes. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we did our own Olympics with uh, a set of games that were entirely invented by the Prime Minister. You know, we could have <laughs> you know, the Modi Olympics, which features some sort of cross-section between triathlon and the short putt and Gujarati poetry reading. Um, <laughs> And we'll invite some countries. They can come. They can not come. It doesn't matter. But like we said, everyone responsible organising it now will be dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I read that they were looking at the 2036 games as a possibility. Now, Olympics is in years ending in the numbers 
uh, three and six do have a bit of a checkered past when it comes to not being used as vehicles for political propaganda. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure Mr Modi will be looking to correct that tradition rather than to uh, emphatically uh, confirm it. Um, uh, I mean, do, do we think, um, I mean, Alice, uh, Australia's had uh, two, two Olympics, 1956 yes. and, uh, and 2000. I mean, do you think it's time for the IOC to award Olympics to cities regardless of whether they want them or not just uh you know it should be almost like jury service where a city just has to step up to the plate and provide sport for the world well certainly i think as with all uh power power corrupts and the only way to counteract uh this sort of terrible corruption in in the olympic econosphere is is rather than letting countries bribe their way into ownership of Olympics, as, as you say, just attribute the Olympics to wherever the shot put falls. Just get a big world map and throw a rock at it, and then wherever <laughs> that lands, if it's in the middle of the ocean, people are going to have to learn how to swim on water. I think that's well, the only way of making the Olympics truly fair. They, they did try try that, uh, the you know, getting the world, throwing a big rock at it, uh, with the first dinosaur Olympics, and it went tragically, tragically wrong. Um <laughs> Well, it's also the problem of, you know, the richer countries get to prepare their athletes more and people are working towards this thing for four years or eight years or 12 years and they know what the target is. I think we should just call Snap Olympics in random locations. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, should it be also that maybe rather than the Olympics being something that is once every four years, it's just an ongoing process where people just post up their athletic achievements and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it'd be a bit tricky to check if, if uh, Elsie aged 83 has really run the 100 in 8.4 seconds but um i think it would make it would make it more democratic and, and sort of more you know it it would present sport in a way that young people are more familiar with of just you know posting shit online yeah i i agree i i, I still hold with my drop someone out of the sky point at two people and go you two run and whoever <laughs> wins is the champion <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it brings a certain fluidity to the Olympics rather than, you know, every number of years. And we've done that a little bit. You know, if you remember, we had the Commonwealth Games in India, which were very corrupt, etc. It was in the news for that. But now it's all done. And if you go to Delhi, there's a big sign that says, uh, we are welcoming large marriage parties to the Commonwealth swimming pool. <laughs> so... <laughs> Again, it's fluid, right? It keeps it going. So the pool is still there. If you're a large Punjabi family, you want to get married, you've got an Olympic-sized swimming pool there, right. uh, which was used for the Commonwealth Games. And uh, Does it have water in it currently? <laughs> currently not. And right, hopefully okay. it won't if, if you choose to get married <laughs> there. Um, but again, you know, it didn't end with the Olympics. You know, there are, there are two families currently marrying post-COVID in a swimming pool. <laughs> UK news now and sausage wars have broken out. Um, sausages from Great Britain could soon be banned from entering uh, Northern Ireland, which is uh, part of uh, Great Britain, uh, despite what uh, many of our politicians seem to think. Um, there are loggerheads between uh, the UK government and, and uh, the European Union over a proposed ban on the export of sausages and indeed mints under the terms of the uh, Brexit <laughs> deal between uh, Great Britain and uh, something to that again. Uh, the uh, UK government is reportedly at loggerheads, um, one of the best type of heads, with Br uh, Brussels over a proposed ban on the export of sausages and mints from uh, Great Britain to Northern Ireland. Uh, that is under the terms of the Brexit deal. Now, there are, of course, many aspects of British life that are claimed as fundamental parts of our national identity, not to be tinkered with, not to be sullied, not to be stolen at any costs unless it's convenient or financially advantageous. But one thing stands proudly inviolable. 
as an icon of British freedom, of national unity, of eternal God-given identity, and that is the sausage. So when Brexit starts interfering with the sausage, shit is getting real, people! Um, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, either of your countries has ever been involved in a sausage-based um, war, and uh, it hasn't yet become a military war, but I think we can only assume that it definitely will. Uh, but, you know, the, we are, you know, life is teetering on the edge of absolute chaos here with the, the sausage under threat. Well, I mean, Andy, no one wants to know how politics or sausages are made, but a uh, number 10 spokesman was approached uh, about uh, why the Prime Minister signed up to the terms, which are considered so damaging that they can't, we, you can't, um, you can't transport cool meat anymore. It has to be frozen meat, essentially, is the is the core of this. But the, the spokesman said the protocol was a compromise. We didn't expect the EU to take a purist approach <laughs> when implementing it. We are working very hard to try to resolve these issues consensually. There is so much about that quote that is upsetting, ending with the choice of the word consensually and working backwards from there. I... Uh, though I have just put a ban on meat imports is my new response to dick pics. Um, <laughs> as, as somebody who's never felt very strongly about sausage one way or another, it's difficult for this story to really uh, salami on its newsworthiness <laughs> without being either the worst or the boer worst. Uh, the problem with paying attention to stuff that I don't care about is it really makes me cransky. <laughs> I'm going to stop now. Well, well, carry on if you want. Uh, Anubab, where do you where do you stand on the on the sausage issue? Look, I, I on this podcast I've done Greek element puns and sausage puns. This has been the best half an hour of my entire life. <laughs> um, I, I love I love that spokesperson who said uh, this will be resolved following strict protocol. Now, Andy, I don't know very many British things, but what is sausage protocol? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something that generally boys are not taught enough about in school. Um, <laughs> But it was rather fascinating. Prick <laughs> um... it with a fork. <laughs> let's, let's go back to what this spokesperson for the, the Prime Minister said. The protocol was a compromise. We didn't expect the European Union to take a purist approach when implementing it. And that is a real look into the mind of Boris Johnson and his government, which basically says, well, I mean, words are not something that are supposed to be meant. Uh, words don't mean what they mean. What, I mean, how, how, why are they taking these words to mean what they seem to and do in fact mean words are simply a tool of misinformation entertainment or buying time until someone else is around to clean up your f***ing mess so you can understand the confusion the, the only that words that, the only me words that mean what they mean are words that we don't know what they mean like brexit means brexit indeed <laughs> <laughs> um, i mean brexit which you mentioned is, is the root of it of course it was a heroic break for freedom from the oppressive chains of freedom uh, and cooperation um, that was eu membership uh, and it's had various Predictably unpredicted uh, consequences, unforeseen if you ignore the people who foresaw them. And many of these relate to the inconvenient fact that Northern Ireland is part of England. So, sorry, part of Great Britain. And that many English, sorry, British politicians had unfortunately forgotten about this, uh, this aspect. And so whilst England, Scotland and Wales no longer have to follow EU rules and can once again call carrots carrots instead of having to call them orangenstikken vegetabile, as Brussels <laughs> insisted. But Northern Ireland does still have to follow the EU rules because it shares a land border with the Republic of Ireland, which, as we record, is still an EU member. P 
pending its inevitable application to rejoin England. Oh, sorry, the, the United Kingdom. It's very confusing for people like me. Um, and we're at the end of a six-month grace period where sausages were still legal, uh, after which the f***ing rules we agreed to live by come into effect, which, to be fair, no one could have predicted happening. The result is f***ing chaos. Sausages are affected by EU food safety rules, which don't allow chilled meat products to enter... Uh, its market from non-EU EU members, uh, and there might be you know a loophole in that m sausages don't contain a lot of what is discernibly meat, particularly not the Great British sausage. But fundamentally, it's very hard to see how this can be resolved. Um, George Eustace, the UK Environment Secretary, said that Britain would lobby Joe Biden over the issue. That the, uh, Joe Biden is here for the G7 summit, which is uh, taking place. Where we'll report exclusively on that in next week's uh, Bugle. Uh, Eustace said, uh, I suspect that any US administration would be amazed if you were to say, for instance, that a sausage from Texas couldn't be sold in California and there would be an outright ban. Well, apart from the fact that this comparison is completely invalid on an almost infinite number of levels, it would also <laughs> depend on whether the government of Texas had f***ing agreed to a protocol that prevented sausages being sold in California or not. Anyway, uh, it's uh, all just a barrel of happy laughs. I mean, given protocol has been broken, Andy, uh, is there any way in which you guys could get a very large cannon, move it up to the northernmost part of England and just shoot sausages into Northern Ireland? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's possible. The government is putting more money into uh, into defence projects. So, um, yeah, the sausage cannon. It could. Be, I mean, sometimes it needs an outside eye to see the obvious solution. And you've uh, you've definitely you. uh, definitely provided I mean, that. I mean, look, again, I have to go back to the Empire. You guys had left behind a bunch of cannons. Um, and yes. It's, we, didn't it's always use we, we didn't always use them for firing sausages, though. <laughs> <laughs> we used them for firing people. Yes, <laughs> yes, used to shoot some rebels out of it. But we, we've kept them, and we sometimes use it in circuses, uh, right. when really small people shoot themselves out of circuses for a fee. Um, <laughs> and that's what's giving me the sausage idea. So, again, all right. good ideas are British. It's just that maybe you left it behind a long time. <laughs> As I always say, you can't fire me out of a cannon. I quit out of a cannon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Britain's top negotiator, David Frost, urged the EU to use common sense. F*** you, Frost! Do not betray the will of the people! This was explicitly a vote against common sense. You can't suddenly start f***ing asking for it to be used now when we were promised, promised, it would play no part in things. It's a disgrace. Further proof that Brexit is working, despite what the naysayers nay, and a return to the glory days of Britain when we had an empire in which the sun never set, because we now have a lorry park in Kent, which is basically an empire but uh, made of lorries, where the sun <laughs> might as well not bother setting because there is 24-hour-a-day uh, lighting uh, on this uh, massive great lorry park uh, where lorries uh, wait for extra custom checks post-Brexit, uh, post which has, according to locals, destroyed the night sky. I mean, this was another side effect of Brexit, not just the uh, end of the sausage, but the destruction of night time. Uh, again, we were not told, we were not told this would be part of, uh, of Brexit. The government has defended the lighting of the lorry park as, quotes, a physical metaphor for the nation to cling to in these benighted times of how Brexit is a beacon of light in the eternal night time of EU membership, an artificially sunlit escape from the enveloping uh, blanket of darkness cast by the Freedoms Corporation, Progress, Harmony and uniformly shaped bananas that were imposed on us, uh, on our unquenchably British souls by our European overlords. So, yeah, there's many ways of looking at this. Um, have either of you ever lived on a permanently lit lorry park or not? I mean, isn't the night time inherently a little bit suspiciously European anyway? Uh, 
well, it is very much, uh, very much so. Uh, look, I just think that you know the loose decadence of the evening darkness has hidden sins for too long, and Andy. And the sooner everyone is relentlessly spotlit at all times, the better. <laughs> well, that's what the internet does, isn't it? <laughs> also, also, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I get great comfort knowing that a large group of European truck drivers are near me at any given point in time. <laughs> it's a good way to get your drugs. Yeah, exactly. Prime Minister, who did not apologise for insulting Muslims, black people and women when he was a newspaper editor and or serving politician, wades in on not-yet-announced punishment of cricketer who did apologise for racist and sexist tweets posted as an idiotic teenager news now. And, well, yes, uh, that did... In, that's ba- Well, that's basically basically the story. It's, I mean, cricket and politics are... Uh, it's, you know, we talk about sport and politics not mixing. It's kind of impossible to separate sport uh, from uh, politics. But this week, they've been particularly... Uh, unhealthily mixed England cricketer Ollie Robinson uh, making his first appearance as an England cricketer his uh, his big day was ruined by a mixture of his own idiocy as a teenager when he posted offensive tweets to his handful of followers and someone then posting those tweets on the day of his first game for England to make sure that millions more people saw them Robinson who's now 27 apologized for the tweets he posted uh, around nine years ago which had been found by a Twitter copper archaeologist who was so offended by them um, that they decided to keep quiet about them until the day of Robinson's first match uh, for England. Uh, he was then suspended uh, following an excellent debut match whilst the cricketing authorities investigate the matter. Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden, a politician for whom no issue is too great a challenge for him not to come up with the wrong response, tweeted, Ollie Robinson's <laughs> tweets were offensive and wrong. They are also a decade old and written by a teenager. The teenager is now a man and has rightly apologised. The ECB has gone over the top by suspending him and should think again. Now, this was a suspension, not a punishment. They are now investigating the matter. This is essentially standard workplace procedure, albeit I'm not that familiar with workplace procedure, having not been in workplaces uh, very much. Boris Johnson uh, supported uh, Dowden, and I guess it is good that Robinson has apologised for writing these appalling things as a teenager, because being an England cricketer is a, is a very important public position where standards of behaviour are to be expected. This is cricket we're talking about. Cr- cricket. This is far more serious to me for uh, than, for example, a newspaper columnist magazine editor and foreign secretary aged you know in his 30s 40s or 50s writing racist sexist and homophobic things in just a few large circulation national publications before going on to do a casual work experience job as prime minister this is this is a cricketer we have to set some standards at some point in our society um and Oliver Dowden, a very busy man, the culture secretary, also took some time out from his hectic schedule of misrepresenting stuff willfully, that is none of his business, to post a vaccination playlist of songs to get vaccinated to. <laughs> now, this is a minister in a government which has done in real terms absolutely f*** all to support music, whether it's rock venues or amateur choirs, and has undermined arts education generally. And it shows once again that our culture secretary has his finger on the pulse of culture, albeit that pulse is in the neck area, and he is pressing those fingers down alarmingly hard. Also, his playlist could be questioned. Missed out some songs that should have been on it from a Conservative minister. Don't Fear the Reaper, brackets, as long as you get the vaccine rollout right. Or the classic 60s bebop number, My Prime Minister is a Liar and a Charlatan by The Ethicettes. And I Love You, brackets, despite the slightly embarrassing death toll by Timmy Torrey and the Shameless Hacks. Um, so you might want to put those on. But, I mean, cricket has been rocked. Rocked by this, now um, pretty much all players are having their their social media pasts 
dug up. I mean, uh, would you agree with me that that being a 27-year-old cricketer is uh, it's far more important that you should apologise than if you're, say, a, you know, a prime minister in his 50s? Well, Andy, I, look, I haven't read the tweets, and uh, I don't, I don't really care about this particular young man's particular journey. I'm sure he he should apologise, and if he has apologised, well done him. But so me- so much of this discourse is like reminds me of when my cousin tried a cup of soup the first time. Uh, we were we we're on holiday together, and there was a packet soup, and she tried it, and she said, "Hmm, this is disgusting. You try it." <laughs> I feel like the, the sharing of outrage uh, about tweets that someone might not otherwise see seems to be exactly that impulse of just like, let's boost this horrific thing as as widely as possible. Also, it would be interesting to study how much harder one would have to work being an old racist cricketer versus a present day cricketer <laughs> who might have the racist tendencies. Um, well, um, there was an England captain in the 20s who um, was an active member of a fascist organization whilst he was england <laughs> captain and in fact was investigated i believe on a tour of australia uh, for attempting to set up a fascist organization in australia as well and he was captain of england well at uh, least you know he wouldn't bend his arm on the hile <laughs> <laughs> and look there are lots of days between matches where you can set up a fascist organization i mean you don't have to lounge around by the pool you can do things <laughs> Cricket is one of the few sports that does give you a lot of time, even when the game is on, to set up <laughs> fascist organisations. We really need a, a sort of a apology ranking scale in the way that we have bushfire danger warning scales in Australia, where you know, you know it goes from green to <laughs> sort of re- in, into the reds and purples uh, with, as to whether you can light a match within ten metres of anywhere or not. Uh, I feel like there should be a, an adequacy of apology meter. That is running totally, and maybe if your apology doesn't really hit <laughs> hit a, a particular standard, <laughs> you then don't get to judge anyone else ever again. Is that enough, Chris? I mean, I, obviously, I, I was slightly distracted, Andy, given like in in the first five minutes of the program, you talked about that German player at Euro '68, yeah, which is a bit of a joke, really, given for a start there was two Germanys then. <laughs> And sec- secondly, uh, neither East Germany or West Germany qualified for Euro 60. Well, it was only a four-team tournament, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Bo- both teams were knocked out in the qualifying round, which finished in 1967. Oh, sorry. So, so I'm not sure that our audience can trust any of what's happened since. I can only, I, usually my bullshit is very factually accurate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, deep apologies, Buglers, for... Uh, and uh, thanks, Chris. Does he, he is our fact checker? Um, okay. that, yeah, that's why. It, it takes all, why it takes all of our episodes a year to get a year to get out. We actually record them a year in advance, which is very good at guessing what the news is going to be. And Chris has got it all fact checked by the time it's published. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle. Um, any shows or other uh, available things to plug? Uh, yes, indeed, Andy. I'm doing the Bondi Festival with two live shows of Kronos on the 9th and 10th of July. Is that so on the beach? You want to come to yeah Bondi Beach? Yes. Right in the sea or on the sand? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, are, you are you are a tra- you are a trained lifesaver, <coughs> aren't you? Uh, yes, I have my bronze uh, my bronze surf right. saving. Right, and that could be one hell of a show, couldn't it? Right, everybody <laughs> in. I'll fish you out if it goes badly. Also, uh, we have a weekly spin-off show of The Bugle, which is called The Gargle. It's uh, all of the news, none of the politics, and there's also a monthly show called The Last Post. 
Um, so those are also things that you can listen to if you're not in Bondi. Uh, and if you have any uh, forthcoming shows or other podcasts yeah, we, you want to tell us about? We carry on with our uh, Indian podcast, Our Last Week, uh, which I do with Bollywood actor Kunal Roy Kapoor. And for that, I go into an even smaller closet than the one I'm in now, <laughs> um, as the monsoons beset on India. Uh, do tune in to all of those on your internet uh, tuner. Um, you can also catch the uh, the series of the news quiz that's just finished on BBC Sounds. We'll be back with another series in September. September is also the month where Bugle Lives will return the 7th of September. Uh, we'll give you further information on tickets as soon as they're available, which I don't think they are yet, but they will be, assuming the world hasn't completely stopped again. That's all for this week. Until next time, goodbye. Uh, to make a one-off or recurring contribution to The Bugle, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the Donate button. And you can also find our exciting range of Bugle merch there, including the Cold and Wet Weaver t-shirt. How, how are they selling, Chris? Almost sold out. Sensational. Since they said it couldn't be done. They said it shouldn't be done. They were right on the second of those, but not the first. <laughs> goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.